Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To all my bed crimers, hi, how are you? I hope you're having a great weekend. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Let me just ask that after watching and or listening to the video, if you find you enjoyed it or learned something, do me a favor, smash the like button and consider subscribing. Now, let's dig in. When love first blooms, it's magical, especially when you think you've found your person, the one other human being on earth who gets you, who listens to you, and most importantly, hears you, and who thinks perfectly imperfect, you are kick-ass. For some, the love not only endures, it continues to grow and deepen. But for others, the love eventually fades. For others, not only does the love dissipate, it also morphs into hatred and the desire to inflict harm. At one time, Dan Markle and Wendy Adelson shared a magic love connection. I say that because after they met via the online dating service JDate, they married in 2006 in a lavish ceremony in Boca Raton, Florida. Both from wealthy families, their wedding announcement was published in the New York Times. Dan, or Danny as he was called by friends and family, was 33. Wendy was 26, and their love lasted long enough to produce two beautiful children, two boys, one named Benjamin, the other named Lincoln. Those little boys became the center of both Danny and Wendy's lives, as well as the lives of their grandparents, Donna and Harvey Adelson, and Dan's parents, the Markles. But for Danny and Wendy, tragically, the love they once shared over time faded away like a child's pastel chalk drawing on a sidewalk, at least for Wendy. But I'm getting ahead of this bed crime story. By all accounts, Danny Markle was a brilliant man. Born to a successful family in Toronto, Canada, Danny would go on to obtain a master's degree in political theory from Cambridge University in Britain, as well as a law degree from the storied halls of Harvard. He also spent a year studying philosophy in Israel through a prestigious Dorrit Fellowship. Eventually, Danny landed a teaching position at Florida State University in their College of Law. There, he quickly established himself as a professor to be respected and admired, by students and colleagues alike. Wendy Adelson, too, was gifted with a lively mind. Like Danny, she attended Cambridge University and then went on to study law at the University of Miami. Attractive, with big blue eyes and a wide smile, Wendy has both beauty and brains. Her family, like the Markles, is quite successful. They run a dentistry practice in South Florida. Wendy has two brothers. One is is named Robert. He's a well-regarded doctor who lives in Albany, New York, but he's estranged from his family and siblings. Wendy's other brother is Charlie Adelson. Charlie is or was a very successful periodontist who lived near his parents until he became embroiled in a true crime saga that currently has him on trial in Florida for first-degree murder 
conspiracy to commit murder, and solicitation of murder. Those are charges that, if you're convicted of, will land you behind bars for life. Now, Wendy was also working at Florida State University's law school, where her focus was on human trafficking. So Danny and Wendy worked at the same university. Wendy and Danny were living this American dream before all hell broke out. Danny was, by all accounts, a very involved and loving father, and Wendy, too, adored her sons. Their two boys and a nice house in the suburbs of Tallahassee, Wendy and Danny looked like the perfect family, but the perfect curb appeal of their marriage was masking some fractures in the foundation. In September of 2012, Wendy gave her hubby, Danny, the surprise of a lifetime. So he comes home from a business trip to find the house empty. He had to have had one of those what-the-f moments as his brain processed what he was seeing. While he'd been away at a work conference, Wendy moved out of the house and took her and Danny's two toddler sons with her through the help of her parents, Donna and Harvey Adelson. Wendy also took whatever furniture and belongings she wanted. She grabbed all the boys' pajamas, diapers, beds, and even baby wipes. All that was left was a crib mattress on the floor. She also took Danny's tennis racket and family jewelry and removed hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash and equities from their bank and investment accounts. Talk about a calculated move. On the bed in the master bedroom, Danny finds his first clue as to what's going on. Wendy has left him a stack of divorce paperwork dated September 10th of 2012. That date was before he left for the conference. Wendy leaves Danny no information as to her whereabouts and the whereabouts of his children. Now, for several weeks, Danny is left in the dark as to where his family is. Wendy refuses to disclose their location. Can you imagine how upsetting this must have been for him? I mean, those two little boys were his children as much as they were Wendy's. What right did she have to simply whisk them away from him without warning. And this was not a DV situation. It wasn't like she had to secretly escape Danny. There was no DV going on. Finally, Danny finds out that Wendy is sheltering with their two sons at her parents' home in Coral Springs, Florida, near Miami. Of course that's where she was. He finds out that Wendy had been quite unhappy in Tallahassee, to say the least, and missed her family. And her parents, at least from what's been written about them, are very attached to their daughter, and to their grandsons, and they have no qualms about assisting their daughter in what is really, let's call it like it is, child nabbing. This hints at the Adelsons, maybe, not being what you would call highly moral citizens, allegedly. In July of 2013, 
Despite their strained relationship, Danny and Wendy managed to hash out a divorce settlement. Custody will be split equally between the two, and Dan will pay Wendy $841 a month in support monies on top of a lump sum of $120,000. He gets to keep the empty house, but there are still more legal battles to be fought, and the vitriol just keeps growing. Danny and Wendy are both slinging mud at each other at this point and they attack one another through myriad court filings. They're disputing everything from kindergarten plans to when Wendy is willing to allow Benjamin and Lincoln to Skype with their dad to signing the boys up for soccer. But the biggest tussle of all is about where the two little boys will live. Wendy wants to move permanently to Coral Springs, where she has a job offer, and where, most importantly, her parents live. And she wants to have the boys with her there permanently. The police will later say that email evidence indicates that Wendy's parents, in particular her mother Donna, wanted Wendy to coerce Dan Markle into allowing the boys to move to South Florida. By the way, Donna and her son Charlie loathe Dan Markle. Dan, who's by now a full professor at FSU, clearly needs and wants to stay in Tallahassee. So, of course, he adamantly refuses to allow his sons to move to South Florida with Wendy. The court sides with Dan Markle and rules that Benjamin and Lincoln must remain in Tallahassee. Wendy is furious, as are her parents and her older brother, Charlie. Wendy, at Donna's urging, even stoops to offering Dan Markle a million dollars to allow his sons to move. But Dan's not the type of dad to accept any sum of money to give up precious time with his sons. He knows that if he says yes to the move, he's probably never going to get to see his kids, no matter what the court says. Dan Markle tells the court, that Wendy's parents are aggressive and controlling. He's especially concerned about Wendy's mother, Donna, who he believes is disparaging him in front of his little boys. And for this reason, Dan tells the court that he doesn't want his mother-in-law, Donna, to have unsupervised visits with his boys. This likely leaves Wendy Donna and her brother Charlie seething with rage. Dan also claims that Wendy has failed to accurately disclose financial records, an accusation that could carry serious consequences for her legal career. A Florida court is due to rule on Dan's request when the unimaginable happens. It is now 11 a.m. on Friday, July 18th of 2014. Almost two years after that day, when Dan Markle came home to find his house empty. Danny is on summer break from the university, and it's his turn to have the boys. He gets up early that morning and drops the little ones, one who's now four and the other three, at their preschool. He then drives to his gym for an hour-long workout. But unbeknownst to Danny, two men in a light-colored Prius are following him. They even wait 
in the Prius while he works out at the gym. Then when he leaves, we follow him as he drives home. Meanwhile, Wendy Adelson is also at her home, and she's awaiting a visit from the Geek Squad to repair a damaged TV. She tells the repairman that the TV had been a divorce present from her brother Charlie because buying her the TV he said was cheaper than hiring a hitman. Was it a coincidence that Wendy's TV just happened to be broken that morning and in need of a visit from the Geek Squad? Or was this Wendy Adelson maybe setting herself up with a solid alibi? You have to wonder. This wasn't the first time Wendy revealed that her brother Charlie had talked about a hitman. In fact, a week before this day in July of 2014, Wendy told her then-boyfriend, Jeffrey Lacasse, the same thing, that Charlie had looked into all options for solving the Danny problem, including hiring someone to bump him off. Back to Danny Markle. He's just pulled into his driveway on Trescott Drive, and he waits as his garage door opens. It's the same house where he once lived with Wendy. He's inside his black Honda Accord and talking on the phone. The Prius pulls into the driveway behind him. A stranger gets out of the Prius and heads into Dan's garage. As Danny sits in his running car talking on the phone, a stranger approaches his car and raises his hand. He's holding a weapon. He shoots twice. Bam! Bam! The driver's side window shatters, and Dan sustains injuries to his head while he's still in his running car on the phone with the keys in the ignition. The bullets shatter Dan's reading glasses. A neighbor hears the distinctive sound of gunfire and looks out his front window. He catches a glimpse of what looks like a Prius backing up from Dan Markle's driveway and then tearing away down the street. The neighbor is concerned because there's been a slew of break-ins in the neighborhood recently. Those two shots were so distinctive. He walks over to the Markle home and walks only so far up the driveway. When he sees that Dan's car is on, he assumes that Dan's about to leave. Thus, he turns around and heads back to his house. But something still doesn't feel right, so he decides to wait at the window to make sure that Danny Markle pulls out of the garage. Well, after about five minutes and Danny not coming out, the neighbor goes back over and takes a closer look. He sees Dan Markle moving his head slowly from side to side. Blood covers his head, and he doesn't respond when the neighbor asks him multiple times what happened. The neighbor grabs for his cell phone, but realizes it's back at his house. He quickly walks home and then dials 911. Emergency responders turn up, and Dan Markle, who is just 41 years old, is rushed to the hospital, where he survives for some hours before ultimately passing away. Suddenly, Benjamin and Lincoln Markle have just one living parent, their mother, Wendy. Dan's death means that Wendy can now move her sons wherever she damn well pleases. Funny how one person's tragedy can be another person's sudden good fortune. By the way, Wendy Adelson drove near her former home, where Dan Markle had just been harmed after the crime. She claims that she was on her way to a liquor store 
and noticed police tape down the road where their house was located, and there was a roadblock preventing her from driving down the road to where the house was. Wendy simply turns her car around and takes a different route. She doesn't inquire as to whether Dan is okay. Also, the liquor store she said she was on her way to was actually much closer to where she was living than to where Dan was living. So why did she take this long route to this liquor store on that day? Highly suspicious. Was she maybe checking out the scene post the crime because she knew it had gone down? She claims no, but she has been accused of perjuring herself on the stand, so it's hard to believe her. The legal community in Florida is in shock. The president of Dan Markle's former synagogue in Toronto, Ellen Simon, tells the Toronto Star that Danny was very lively and the congregation became more lively because of him. Rick Hills Jr., a friend of Danny's, who last saw him two weeks before his death, reveals to the Star newspaper that Dan was in a relationship with a new woman prior to his death. Hills says this of Dan. He was rebuilding his life after a really, really difficult period. I was watching him as he was in my apartment, Skyping with his kids, and saying goodnight on his cell phone. He was so happy. It's a sad and unforgivable fact that some spouses and their families, when they divorce, try to throw roadblocks in the other parent's way. Divorce can either bring out the best in people who are willing to put aside their venom for what's right and healthy for their kids, or it can bring out the worst demons where they'll do everything and anything in their power to sabotage the other parent's relationship with the kids. In this case, it would appear that someone in Wendy Adelson's family would go to great lengths, allegedly, to ensure that Wendy and her mother Donna got their way when it came to where Wendy and the boys would live. Initially, the police believed the incident that left Dan Markle dead was a random act of violence. But the house wasn't burglarized. Nothing was stolen. Why would someone want to harm this well-respected and well-liked law professor? Who would have motive to harm Dan Markle? 48 hours after he died, Wendy and her sons moved to South Florida. They move into a house within walking distance of her parents. And within a year of Dan's death, Wendy changes her son's last name to Adelson. She seems to be trying to erase all vestiges of Dan Markle from her son's lives. And according to Dan's parents, Wendy tells them that they can no longer see their grandsons. Talk about cruel. They just lose their son, and now they're told they can't even see his children anymore. Lucky for the police, there was one clue as to who had committed this violent act. The neighbor who saw the light-colored Prius driving away from Dan Markle's house. The police follow two leads on the case. One, they look for whoever was driving that Prius, and two, they take a closer look at Dan's ex-wife and her family. After something like two years, the car is eventually found to be a rental that was rented to two criminal types from Miami, Zigfredo Garcia 
and Luis Rivera. And in June of 2016, nearly two years after Dan's death, Garcia and Rivera are indicted for his murder. Prosecutors allege that the two men were enlisted to harm Dan as part of a desperate plan by the Adelson family to ensure that Wendy and her sons could move to South Florida. No other arrests are made at that time. In October of 2016, Rivera pleads guilty to second-degree murder and is sentenced to seven years in prison. Rivera is cooperating with the cops, and he wasn't the person who actually pulled the trigger on Dan Markle. Rivera's statement to the authorities lead them to uncover a previously unknown connection between Garcia and the Adelsons. The trigger man, Zigfredo Garcia, is the father of two children by a woman named Catherine Mugbanawa, and Catherine was at the time of Dan Markle's death the girlfriend of Wendy Adelson's older brother, Charlie. Is this why these two seeming strangers from Miami turned up at Dan Markle's house that day and took his life? In a 2016 affidavit, the investigators working the case describe a series of large cash deposits that were made to Catherine's bank account in the year before and after Dan Markle's death. Those cash deposits came from none other than Charlie Adelson money. It's something that can make people commit the most violent acts. Then the investigators decide they need to come up with a strategy to get Donna Adelson and her son Charlie talking about the crime, which by now had taken place two years earlier. So how do you get people to talk about a crime that happened two years earlier? The investigators decide to have an undercover FBI agent pretend to be someone who's trying to extort the Adelsons because of their involvement in Dan Markle's death. The undercover agent bumps into Donna Adelson on the street and hands her a flyer about Dan Markle's death with a request for $5,000 to help Rivera's family. The undercover agent tells Donna that he's aware that the Adelsons had been helping Catherine and Garcia for their roles in the crime. The cops refer to this incident as the bump. They then tap the Adelson's phone to hear what Donna says to Charlie about this strange encounter. The first call Donna makes after the bump is not to the police. Instead, she calls her son Charlie, and then she and Charlie seem to discuss a course of action about the incident using coded language. Charlie then calls Catherine Mugbanawa and arranges to meet her in a noisy Miami restaurant called Dolce Vita. There, Charlie and Magbanawa talk about Dan Markle's death. The conversation is covertly recorded by the FBI. This is like something out of a spy movie, but the cops have a hard time hearing what's said in the conversation. It actually takes them years to crack the conversation. Enhancements provided by a forensic audio expert eventually allow them to clearly hear for the first time bits of conversation previously obscured by background noise. The conversation makes it seem like Charlie Adelson was the mastermind of the plot to do in Dan Markle. During other taped conversations, Charlie talks about 
peddling steroids, tax evasion, and traveling overseas to cavort with very young women. Yuck. He even brags about lying to law enforcement when getting pulled over. The authorities also secretly take a look at Wendy Adelson's phone records and emails from around the time of Dan Markle's death. They find emails from Wendy's mother, Donna, showing that Donna hated Dan Markle and was desperate to find a way for Wendy and her sons to move closer to home. Donna is the person who suggested offering Dan a million dollars to allow his sons to move to South Florida. Meanwhile, Wendy Adelson maintains she had no involvement in or knowledge of her ex-husband's death, but Rivera tells the cops that the motive for the crime was that, quote, the lady wants her her kids back. Rivera also claims he saw Wendy Adelson before he did in her ex-husband and that she stared directly at him and at Zigfredo Garcia. Fairly damning statements. Can the investigators prove this? Rivera also shares that the Adelsons hired him and Garcia through their common connection, Catherine Magbanoa. Rivera tells the police he and Garcia drove to Tallahassee once before the crime. It was a month earlier, but they weren't able to carry out the hit on that trip. Rivera also divulges how much he, Garcia, and Catherine were paid, $100,000 and that they were paid in part by stapled $100 bills. And apparently, Charlie had a habit of stapling cash payments from his clients in this manner. Following Rivera's plea deal, Catherine Magbanoa was arrested. She and Garcia were tried together for first degree blank. And in 2019, Garcia and Magbanoa eventually received life sentences. At first, no one in the Adelson family was charged with any crimes, but all of that changed in May of 2022 when Wendy's brother Charlie was arrested and charged in connection with Dan Markle's death. Eight full years after Dan died, finally the connection to the Adelsons was made, and Charlie Adelson is currently on trial for Dan Markle's death. So far, Wendy Adelson and her mother Donna have not been charged with any crimes. During his trial, Charlie claimed that on the night Dan Markle died, his girlfriend, meaning Charlie's girlfriend, Catherine Magbanoa, came to his house and told him that she knew who did in Dan Markle. Dan claimed that Catherine said it was all her fault because she spoke too much about Charlie's family's problems with Dan Markle to her on-again, off-again partner, Garcia, and Garcia got it in his head for him and his buddy, Rivera, to do in Dan Markle and then extort Charlie Adelson for money to keep it quiet. Charlie said he was in shock. He claims Catherine said that her friend Garcia wants a third of a million dollars and that Charlie has 48 hours to pay up or Charlie is going to end up in a bad way. Charlie ends up sending Catherine away with $138,000 the next morning in cash in a bag, along with a promise to pay the rest of the money in $3,000 monthly payments. Charlie says he believed that Catherine was trying to help and protect him. Note that Charlie didn't call the police about this because he claims 
he was afraid that Garcia and Rivera would do him in. And pretty much, no matter what question Charlie is asked regarding this whole plot to do in Dan Markle, he always has an answer that makes it look like he had nothing to do with the crime. But if you think about it, Charlie Adelson had many years to come up with a story and then memorize it and rehearse it. And so for now, Charlie Adelson waits to hear if the jury will proclaim him innocent or declare him guilty. As for Dan Markle's mother, who continues to grieve the loss of her son, she would love to ask all of the Adelsons one question, and that is, was it worth it? Was it worth it to do in her son? Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories.